Good morning, everybody. Good, morning. Good to see you. You, you, have, you have indeed multiplied since 10 o'clock. <laughs> it's good to know that every Anglican church I've been a part of, it's like 10 o'clock is the soft start time. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about uh, one of Jesus's many miracles this morning. And as much, pardon me, as much as you might be tempted to say, sort of, yeah, 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 God heals, because I think there's a deep ambivalence that we can encounter when we talk about healing. I want you to really try to inhabit this story this morning. So put yourself in the character's sandals, as it were. See who you resonate most with and why, if you can kind of get a handle on that. Who do you identify with as we work our way through this passage in Mark? And ask yourself, I think there's a fundamental question. Does God still heal? You're going to need to wrestle with that as we work through this. Because I think real, miracle, real miracles, pardon me, they might indeed be rare. I think that's possible. But perhaps God can still meet us in that uncertainty and in that ambivalence that we might feel as we inhabit this story. So my, my prayer, and maybe yours, is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Okay? So maybe as we go through this, that's where you're at, too. So let's look at Mark 7, 31 through 37, which Fred just read. This story is unique to Mark. You don't find it in any of the other Gospels. It's a short, direct story, and so you can expect the sermon to be somewhat similar, okay? For those of you that are uh, clock watchers. It's, uh, it's sandwiched in the midst of other miracles, the healing of the Syrophoenician's uh, daughters right before it, the feeding of the multitudes right after it. This is right sandwiched there in the middle. It says that Jesus is traveling through Decapolis. Now, when we get to biblical geography, this can be really a bit confusing because we're not familiar with this. But let me orient you a little bit. This is primarily a Gentile region. It has some pockets of Jewish community, but primarily a Gentile region. It's the same region where Jesus healed the demon-possessed man back in Mark 5, if you recall that. Um, we don't know if the deaf man in this story is a Jew or a Gentile, but I think Mark's readers may have seen this as a sign of something really good of what's to come. The work of Jesus happening amongst the Gentiles, the Gentile area. So, i.e., this shows that Jesus' heart is not only for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. It's kind of like Jesus engaging the Samaritan woman at the well. Okay? It shows what's coming. It's divine foreshadowing, if you want to look at it that way. It says that he went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee. Now, if you track with Jesus in his journeys, the Sea of Galilee, that area is kind of home base for him. If he's as, as much as he has a home base, since he's sort of ever itinerant. Um, but this part of it, Decapolis and Sidon, this isn't the most direct route home for Jesus. Okay, Jesus often takes what appear to be a very circuitous route to get from one place to the other. So note, I, I sort of make a mental note to that. of like Our spiritual lives might just mimic that. Our literal lives might just too. I never knew I'd end up in Charlotte, and yet here I am. And, so the Lord is, your, your spiritual journeys aren't always linear. That's my point. And again, I draw upon the example of the meeting of the Samaritan woman at the well, okay? Jesus could have taken a very different path to get to where he was going, one that was way more efficient. He really could have. There had to be a better plan, wouldn't there, than arriving thirsty in a Samaritan, in a Samaritan town, in the noonday heat, in a desert climate. On one level, you'd say, Jesus, that's just poor planning, why would you do that? But he's guided by the Holy Spirit every step of his life. If you look at Paul's journeys, they all also look a little haphazard, don't they? If you look at the map, but God has a plan that we're just not always privy to. Okay? So Paul's journeys help to spread the gospel to unknown regions. So, okay, that's a bit about the region. Jesus takes a, a circuitous, circuitous route 
and he finds uh, this crowd and a small group. It says they small group of community. What are you going to do? What are you going to call it? They bring to Jesus a deaf man. And while we don't know his name, bear in mind that if you're disabled in that day and age, you were very low on the social ladder. Okay, you often had to beg to survive. You see this in some of the other stories. You often were not taught a trade. Okay, you had to rely on the kindness of others to make it. Now, my point in that is, while he might not have been the widow, the orphan, the alien, he may not have fallen into that strata. He wasn't too far removed from that. He might not have been the marginalized of society, but he wasn't too far off. Okay, so consider him. An outsider. Consider him an outlier of sorts. He did not have the easiest life. Okay, we can we can ascertain that from this. So the deaf man, and he is brought to Jesus by a community. They, we'll just call him a community. Notice he does not come of his own accord, own accord that we see here. Okay, they bring him to Jesus. Now there's a certain beauty in their desperation, isn't there? A certain faith in Jesus that he can help this man. And I love this because what happens when you're unable or maybe you've given up on God helping you? What's the role of the community there? What can we do? A community can offer hope. Okay, you can lean into their prayers, lean into their hope, lean into their heart for you. And they bring you to Jesus. That's not a bad picture community, folks. Don't you think? Not bad. Not bad. So please don't underestimate how powerful this is. There's quite a result here, isn't there? Because they bring this man to Jesus. Jesus, excuse me. And then there comes the miracle itself. Now, Fred, I'm going to use you, you lucky dog. Uh, Think about this. Jesus comes. They're strangers to each other. Okay. Jesus comes and he puts his fingers and touches his ears. Okay. Now, I'm not going to do this part, brother. I'm not going to spit and touch his mouth. But he spits and he touches his mouth. Now, we know each other pretty well. But that's a little bit odd, isn't it? That's a little bit intimate. Jesus does this. He draws very, very close when he does, tends to, when he does these miracles. Uh, Think about this. They're pretty earthy, aren't they? When Jesus performs these healing miracles, he does strange things. They're intimate, okay? I know Fred, and I probably made him a little uncomfortable doing that. Imagine if I came to you, a total stranger, and prayed for healing and started doing all these, all these things. Touching the ears, spitting, touching the mouth. But, you know, it's a little similar to the laying on of hands, perhaps a little not as tame that we see in the Gospels and the early church that mimics the way Jesus and the disciples roll. The laying on of hands was a symbol of consecration, okay? It's how the gifts of the Holy Spirit come, right? And Jesus seems to love to use these outward signs. Our Lord's very sacramental. It's sort of redundant, but true. And again, notice how personal and intimate this is. There's human connection, and that's the point I want to make. Despite their oddity, despite the... And when someone steps that close to you in that way, that's a little bit, it's, it's a little uh, disorienting. But I want you to notice how personal and how intimate that Jesus makes a personal connection and, and touches them, okay? There's something draw, about God drawing close to us in our brokenness that I think we can glean from that. It says that Jesus, this is verse 34, if you want to work verse by verse with me, that he looked to heaven and he sighed. Fascinating phrase. He looks to heaven, I think signifying that he came from the Father. He's dependent on the Father. I think this is consonant with John's gospel of, you know, I basically, I only do what I see the Father in heaven doing. We work together, the unity of the Godhead. And he sighs. 
I think this is fascinating because the text doesn't tell us why. Now, if I'm Jesus, you know why I'm going to sigh there? Probably because I'm exhausted. <laughs> Maybe it's just, oh my gosh, you know, the day, when's it going to end? It's been a 17-hour day, and yet I've gone this crazy route, and I need to help this person. Oh, I'm exhausted. Okay, uh, thankfully that is not, I don't believe that is why Jesus sighs here. The text doesn't tell us, but I'd venture a really strong guess that his sigh is one of sympathy and compassion, okay? For this man, but I think also for the human condition. There's sort of, I call this the divine sigh, okay? He's sighing over sympathy, with sympathy and compassion for this man, for the brokenness of the human condition, for suffering. And while we don't know that, I think that's consistent with the Lord's posture of heart towards us, right? Very kind, very engaging. So I call that the divine sigh. And he says, Ephatha. That's a tongue twister, okay? And that's Aramaic for be opened, be opened. And it is so. It says the man's tongue is loosed, his ears are opened. And I find this uh, a little reminiscent of Genesis 1 and 2 in the sense of when God speaks, literally a word, life springs forth, okay? So Jesus literally creates life and goodness with his words. What's the refrain in Genesis 1 and 2? We go through the creation account of that day, and it was And it was good. And it was good. So God creating life with his words. Jesus, you're doing the exact same thing. Now, it's a little odd. We get to verse 36. And uh, notice Jesus has already pulled the man aside to do this healing sort of to pull him off from the crowd. Maybe it has to do with what I'm about to say. He heals him, and then he says, don't tell anybody. (laughs) Now, does that strike you as odd? Am I the only one? Tell no one. And it says he charges them to keep the secret. In fact, it's really strong language. He admonishes them strongly. He tries to prohibit them, and the more he does, the more they they, uh, go tell him on the mountain, so to speak. The community doesn't do quite so well here. They spread the word anyway. Now, why keep this a secret? Isn't that a bit puzzling? Okay, there's something that's big in Mark. It's called a messianic secret. Okay, and that's where Jesus does something and says, okay, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Jesus does something miraculous and says, keep it quiet. Why? Why does he do that? Let me me offer you a, a strong guess. I think the reason is there is a specific timeline that Jesus knows about. He knows the specific hour when the Son of Man should be handed over and crucified. So this is an attempt to move at God's pace, not man's, okay? So Jesus is keeping the timeline on track. Timing, they say, is everything. Timing's everything. So is praising the Lord for what he does, is that categorically wrong? Is it? Is praising the Lord wrong? No, categorically. No, of course not. No, this is an issue of timing. Jesus knows the road ahead about which they have no idea. So there will come a day, and you see this open up in the Gospels, uh, where he's going to fully own, and he's going to fully speak of his Messiahship. But for now, it's on the download. Why? Because it's not time yet. And so Jesus is kind of trying to keep a rein on this because he knows the timeline. No one else does. Okay, I think there's something for us in here about timing. Let me kind of tell you what I mean. So God reveals something to you or to us. And while our temptation might be to tell the world about it or run ahead with it, follow my meaning here, sometimes God prompts us to further contemplation and further prayer, okay? Wants us to ruminate, wants us to chew on it a bit more, okay? He knows more than we do about what lies ahead. 
And there's divine timing, even with good things. There's a place for wisdom. There's a place for discernment. There's a place, yes, even for waiting. And trust me, I hate it, but there is. (laughs) There's a place for waiting. So let me give you an example. Let's say we had all the money in the world to buy any facility we wanted here. Whew. You know, let's, let's say we had that. Should not we still move at God's pace and cover that in prayer? Right? Should we not? No fire aim point syndrome. Right? Why move at God's pace and devote it to prayer? We want to do that. We want to do that because we want to move with him. Okay? Here's some inefficiency. Why march around Jericho seven times? You know, why not just take care of that thing all in one fell swoop? Why, why do that? Because it wasn't time and God was to be glorified in his time. God would display his power and sovereignty, his sovereignty in his time, the perfect times. There's something of timing in this. If Jesus is saying, hold on a minute, okay, it's not that praising God is wrong, obviously, but there's sometimes a purpose between Jesus going, just wait. Not yet. It's not, not never, it's not yet, okay? Uh, Verse 37, predictably, they were astonished beyond measure, saying he has done all things well or good. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute to speak. Okay, it says they're astonished beyond measure. Literally means they're dumbstruck, out of their wits. And well, I think uh, the word well here is a synonym for good. I do think that's another soft echo of Genesis 1 and 2. Good is that refrain we just talked about. God made it and it was good. I want you to look here how Jesus fulfills Old Testament prophecy in this. And you heard it in some of our readings. I'm going to read some of those. Both in the description of our state, kind of where we're at, but also in the people's response to the healing. Okay, let's, let's listen to Isaiah 35, 5 through 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, then shall the lame, lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. In other words... The time of salvation has come. The kingdom of God is here. It's, it's at hand. Here's fulfilled prophecy. Or think about uh, the psalm from today. I'm going to read you verses 7 to 9. Psalm 146. He executes justice for the oppressed. Gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. Opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he shall bring to ruin. In other words... The kingdom is at hand. And Jesus is the point of the spear that's leading the charge here. Okay? Now, let's step back, if we can, from this story and take sort of a 30,000-foot look at Jesus' miracles in the Gospels. Okay? We need to see what they're all about and sort of see how Mark 7 uh, fits into that picture. And I'm going to give you a few points here. Not as many as last week, uh, but uh, some... And I'm just going to talk about miracles because some I need some orientation sometimes with that. So miracles are okay, one miracles are a sign of God's kingdom and the authority of its king. So who's sovereign? Who's sovereign over my body? Who's sovereign over all of creation? Who is this that commands the wind and the waves and that they obey him? Remember that? Who rules God's kingdom? You guys know the answer? Tick tock, tick tock. Jesus, maybe? He's the ruler. He's sovereign, okay? So with the deaf man, he's sovereign over, the, over his body. And he's able to command his ears to be open and his mouth to be loosed. Miracles are also a mirror of heavenly reality. What I mean by this is they're like the really real. This is how things really operate in God's economy. Miracles are on earth as it is in heaven that we pray in the Lord's Prayer, okay? 
It's a way of squaring those two realities where heaven and earth agree, okay? There's no sickness, there's no ailments, there's no tears, uh, not in heaven. So the deaf man is made to be more of what he was supposed to be, okay? Miracles are also a picture of God's generosity. This is just a way of saying, you know, there are things that are impossibly out of reach for us. No one can help this man except the Lord, okay? He couldn't heal himself. His friends couldn't heal him. It's humanly impossible. So God in his generosity heals the man, restores him. Miracles are a reversal of the curse in Genesis 3. So as you recall, humankind fell and creation follows suit, okay? That's why we say we live in a what world? A broken world, a fractured world because of disease and famine and death. It's why the New Testament speaks of Creation groaning like a woman in childbirth for the redemption of all things. That's Romans 8, 22. So the work of Jesus takes on our three enemies of Genesis 3, the world, the flesh, and the devil. So the deaf man, he is restored to who he was made to be. The brokenness of the curse is dispelled in his physical body. Okay? Three more. You guys tracking? Doing okay? You list makers doing okay? <laughs> Miracles are a display of God's justice. This is one that doesn't get talked about very much, but it's parlaying a bit off the reversal of the curse because God's justice is about things being made right on sort of a global cosmic scale. And he tends to particularly focus on the victims of injustice, okay? The socially downtrodden, the needy. It's about setting things right. So listen again to Psalm 146, 7 to 9. I'm going to pull some phrases. The Lord does these things. He executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. He sets the prisoners free. He opens the eyes of the blind, lifts up those who are bowed down, watches over sojourners, upholds the widow and the fatherless. Uh, this has been called God's preference for the poor. And by that, I mean the poor in spirit and the poor in body. It's pretty constant with the Beatitudes, isn't it? When you hear these phrases, Jesus grants the deaf man dignity. And he restores him to a rightful place, in a sense, in society. He, he uplifts him. Okay? So miracles are a display of God's justice, too. Miracles are part and parcel of God's redemptive plan. Now, this is interesting, but God's interested in saving more than your soul. Did you know that? Did you know that? He's interested in saving your body, too, and your heart, the whole person. Salvation is holistic and far-reaching. God restores human beings in all of these realms. That's the end goal. God has been on saving all of you, okay? That's why there's a new heaven and a new earth. And Jewish notions of salvation, if you dig into it, they already get this. You know, they know it includes the soul and the body and heart and the mind. It's not just saving your soul. So there's a holism to God's saving work, redemptive work. And we see this in miracles at times because usually they're restoration of body, more than anything, often restoration of soul, too. And again, Isaiah 35, that provides a good picture of the redemption of all things. Lastly, miracles are, and this is a little tricky, okay? Or miracles aren't always dependent upon personal faith. What? A lot of faith healers just really got torqued at me, me saying that. Being healed isn't always dependent upon our faith. Underscore, underscore. It's not a formula. In some instances, Jesus does commend a person's faith. Your faith has made you well. Okay? There's times that does happen. But in other situations like this one, Jesus simply just heals. 
Now, I think you can make some case that the friends, the community has a vague sense of faith here. You know, there's a communal faith that's maybe present. It's similar to the friends who tear a hole in the roof and lower the, lower the lame man down to Jesus. Think of that in Mark 2, 5. Let me read this. When Jesus saw their faith, meaning the friends who lowered it down, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. That's powerful. There are times, my point in this, and I've said it before, there are times when people hold hope for us. Is there not? We pray the prayers. Sometimes they pray the prayers. We're so weary of praying, you know, or unable to pray for ourselves. There are times where the community holds hope for us. So miracles aren't always dependent upon our personal faith. And thank God for that <laughs> because we can lean into the body of Jesus. Okay, we're going to end here. Uh, let's rejoin those three main characters in the story if we could, okay? Uh, the deaf man, the community, and Jesus. As we've been going through this, who are you in the story? Who do you, who do you identify the most with? And what is the Lord saying to you in that? Okay, let me give you some handles to help with that. Uh, perhaps today you most identify with the deaf man and you just come saying, Lord Jesus, I need healing. I need healing, Jesus. Can you still ask God for this? Can you ask him? Or do you need to lean on the hope of your brothers and sisters in this case and have them ask on your behalf? Can you do that? God works through both. Maybe you identify more with the community, the, the bringers, okay? the ones who brought the deaf man to Jesus. Uh, where can you offer hope and strength to your brothers and sisters? Okay? I saw a meme last night. <laughs> it said, nobody talks about the miracle of Jesus having 12 close friends in his 30s. <laughs> I thought, well, that's, that's a little cheeky, but... It speaks to the power of community, does it not? Wouldn't you love to be able to say that? Where can you offer hope and strength to your brothers and sisters? Right? Okay. Maybe you identify more with Jesus. And it's okay. Don't say, oh, I can't do that. That's holier than that. No, it's all right. Okay. Where can you choose the road less taken, the one out of the way, because it leads to broken and needy people? Where can you do that? Where can you boldly pray for healing, drawing upon the power of God to do the work? There are times in the service where uh, you can be prayed for. We have prayers to the people. After communion, we have prayer ministry that happens at the thank you, at the double doors. So after you receive, maybe you feel that upon your heart and you need to be prayed for, or maybe you need to pray. Uh, do that, okay? Where can you take that road less taken? Okay, and go to the broken and the needy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, I do believe you heal. I do. And it's a mystery why sometimes you choose to heal and other times you don't. Paul wrestled with this himself. And you said, my grace is sufficient for you. But that doesn't stop us from asking. So Jesus, would you give us the boldness to ask to be willing to be carried by our brothers and sisters. Just give us humility and boldness and faith. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ and only by his saving name. Amen.